jumping around the town like when you're driving a Range Rover. Been dropping the new science, and I've been kicking the new knowledge. And I've seen to a degree that you can't get in college. It's the sound of science. The sound of science. Good morning and thank you to the Brecky team. You're listening to Discovery, the National Science Radio, as I'm sure you do every Thursday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. This week we're talking about hurricanes and with all of this extra water, the chances of catching the flu and more importantly trying to get rid of it. So stick around. Hello and welcome. 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 Stand and welcome. Hello, good evening and welcome to Discovery. 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 Listen to Discovery. Discovery. <gasps> Discovery. Discovery. Sounds like a lot of fun. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Now to the speeded up brain of the user, that sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. Discovery. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Discovery, the National Science Radio Show. We've got some few interesting pieces for you this week, a story on hurricanes and trying to get rid of the flu. But first, let's pass over to Sam for our weekly news. Are your computer secrets secure? Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, have been able to reconstruct 96% of a sample of text based on an audio recording of the keystrokes. The recording is fed through a computer which categorizes the sound of each key as it is struck. The keystrokes are then fed through a feedback loop which checks the results against English spelling and grammar to improve the result. The computer was able to recover text from different typists on different keyboards using a $10 microphone similar to the one you could pick up at any computer store. And even with noise in the background, such as music or mobile phones, the keystrokes were still able to be distinguished. The research, researchers warn that if they are able to produce these results, then there is a large likelihood that people with less honourable intentions possibly could, or could have already, developed these techniques. Biologists at the University of St Andrews in Scotland have identified several species of bird that sing songs with multiple parts. Among them, the plain-tailed wrens sing in groups of up to seven, and the male and female birds sing different parts. First the males sing a phrase, then the females sing a phrase, and then both sing a separate phrase to make up a four-part song. More impressive is that birds of the same sex synchronise the phrase they are singing. The male birds were observed to have more than 15 distinct opening phrases, yet the wrens in the same group will sing the same phrase with split-second timing. The researchers believe that this could be the most complex song in a non-human animal. Researchers have found ants in Peru that tend to their own gardens inside the Amazon rainforest. It has been known for years that clumps of the Amazon rainforest, normally an incredibly diverse environment, have been found that only contain one type of tree and one species of ant. A relationship between the ants and the sudden drop in biodiversity had been postulated before, but researchers have finally observed the ants killing off the unwanted trees, or weeds, inside their gardens. The ants set up the, their nests in the hollow stems of their favourite tree to protect themselves from predators. They then proceed to climb other trees within their garden and bite a hole into the leaves to deposit a drop of formic acid. Within hours, the attack tree starts to suffer and brown partridges start occurring along its vein and leaves and eventually this kills the tree. 
Astronomers studying the Milky Way's nearest neighbouring spiral galaxy, Andromeda, have observed a disk of over 400 bright young stars, orbiting close to the centre of the galaxy. This puzzled astronomers as it was expected that the intense gravitational force at the centre of the galaxy should have ripped apart any dense mass clouds before they could become stars. The star's ages were estimated using the Hubble Space Telescope's imaging spectrograph and were found to be approximately 200 million years old, which is curious as the galaxy itself has an estimated age of 12 billion years. Using the movement of stars around the centre of the galaxy, it was shown that at the centre there really is a supermassive black hole, which weighs approximately 140 million times the mass of our sun. Isn't it reassuring then that even a 20, 12 billion year old galaxy can be young at heart? Now Chris has got a story for us today on hurricanes or typhoons, depending on what you'd like to call it, and bathtubs. Now how do these relate? Well, uh, to, to begin with, I think that the terminology is absolutely important here because I only just learnt here in the studio this morning, Thursday morning, or if you're listening somewhere else in the country, it uh, could be Thursday afternoon, um, that a hurricane is the same as a typhoon, is the same as a cyclone. It just depends on where you are in the world. Um, it's it's probably similar to the whole miles per hour, kilometres per hour thing that, you know, we, we just couldn't standardise these things because it'd be just far too easy. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment, you're probably a bit concerned, or particularly North America, a bit concerned about hurricanes which are bearing down on the um, the Gulf Coast of North America. And this is big news. It's been a big big story on the news for the last couple of weeks and there's another really big one currently you know washing around in the gulf down there so this is a big deal but one of the most noticeable things about your hurricane your you know typhoon your cyclone is that it's not just a big stupid storm it's a big rotating circular thing like if you look at this thing on the satellite maps it's very distinctive it's a big circular thing spinning around it's got a bloody great eye in the middle of it i mean these things look scary they look like big circular saw blades for goodness sake like this is a scary storm so the cyclone the hurricane is a really distinctive thing and there's a lot of really interesting science in it so at the risk of sounding perhaps a tad insensitive to all the people who are affected by this thing you can't help but look at a cyclone or a hurricane or a typhoon and go, that's kind of cool. I want to understand that. So what's going on here? Well, one of the things that many people have probably heard about is the Coriolis force. Now, another thing that I'm freely happy, you know, happy to admit at this point in time is I've still never really got my head around the Coriolis force. No, I'm with you there. One of the problems with trying to explain it on radio is that it really involves some just mind-bending rotation tasks. So stay with me on this one. I'm going to make it very, very simple, and I'm not going to try to explain it all. The whole idea of the Coriolis effect is that we're on a spinning planet, but things normally like to move in straight lines when they can. So the fact that something like a storm high-speed winds, that kind of thing, will spin around, and they'll spin around in one direction in the northern hemisphere, one direction in the southern hemisphere, is simply, and I'll say this simply, a matter of the fact that we're standing on a spinning globe. 
now, if we look at it from our you know, vantage point here on a on a globe that's that's spinning around once a day, then what we see is winds which would normally be heading off in a straight straight line suddenly seem to be curving around in a particular direction. If they're going to the east, they'll curve away from the northern hemisphere, up, up uh, away from the equator in the northern hemisphere. They'll curve uh, away from the equator in the southern hemisphere. You'll get things going in different directions. But it's the fact of the Earth's rotation that gives us this spinning. So this is something which, uh, whenever you've got a big storm system, and invariably these things happen around when you've got lots of uh, warm water in the oceans, which is what's happening in the Gulf at the moment, you get a lot of rising air, a lot of air rushing in to the, to the low-pressure system that results, a lot of fast-moving air then starts rotating. And once that starts rotating, it gets faster and faster, builds up more speed, more rotation, and you get these enormous tropical hurricanes, cyclones, or typhoons, depending on what you want to call it. So the, the, the combination of hot water, hot air rising, air rushing in to take its place, and the fact that we're on a spinning globe means that you get these spinning storms. But the interesting thing is that they spin one way in the northern hemisphere, they spin the other way in the southern hemisphere. Now, some of you at home may be one step ahead of me here because you're thinking, okay, that's not the only thing that I've heard about. The, the apocryphal story is that when you flush the loo in the northern hemisphere, it goes down the other way than if you flush it here in Australia. I think that's a legacy the Simpsons is. I think it is. If you've it? seen that, that Simpsons Come to Australia episode, then they had the big special thing that they attached to the American loo when they came down to Australia to make sure that it went the right Yankee way. Uh, if you've got a bathtub full of water and you pull the plug out, then supposedly in the northern hemisphere, it spirals down the plug hole one way. In the southern hemisphere, it'll go the other way, exactly the same as the storm. And in fact, the physics textbook that I used in 1990, so this is only going back 15 years, was written by a guy called Tipler, Paul Tipler. I don't know if any other physicists in the room remember Mr. Tipler. He wrote textbooks. He's still writing them. And in the edition that we used in 1990, he actually said water goes down the plug hole in different directions in the North and South Hemisphere. He's a physicist. He should know better. It's not true. The Coriolis effect on things the size of, you know, a 600-mile-wide storm is very, very large. Something the size of a bathtub or a sink, the effect is incredibly small. How small? Enough that it would take, all other things being equal, several hours for the Coriolis spin of the water going down the plug hole to even be noticeable. So what's actually going on when people say this? Well, what they're seeing is water going down the plug hole, whichever way it was already spinning. Even when water looks still, it's actually still rotating just a little bit in its bulk motion from whichever way the sink happened to fill up. And so if you want to go out and prove it for yourself, go and fill up the bathtub a couple of times and see which way it goes down the plug hole. I guarantee you, get a bunch of bathtubs, a bunch of sinks, you'll find it going down the plug hole different ways. So big storms, yes. Your bathtub, no, definitely not. Thanks, Chris. That was Chris Stewart, who was telling us all about hurricanes and dispelling any myths on toilet bowls flushing the wrong or right way. Spring is the season when new loves are made. Every blossom weather when the new game is played. Spring is the season when new loves are made.
by John Blake. Now, have you been hit with that nasty flu infection that's been going around this past winter? Have you seen the government TV ads telling you not to ask for medication? Wouldn't it be great if there was a cure for the flu so people wouldn't tell you to soldier on, staying at work and spreading the disease? Ian Wolfe examines the cure for influenza and the preparations for the worldwide flu pandemic that experts have predicted is due. In Australia, doctors can cure flu, but they won't. Most people have been led to believe by the doctors and by federal government TV ads that viral infections can't be treated, but only prevented by vaccination. So if you get sick with a viral infection, then all you can do is rest and hope for the best. But it's a lie. Most Australians would be surprised to find that there are antiviral drugs that kill viruses and that there are approved drugs that can cure the flu specifically. But Australian doctors probably won't prescribe them unless you force them. The Australian federal government doesn't want to pay for influenza tests, so the doctors can tell it's not a bad cold, and they don't want to pay for anti-flu drugs. Their policy is prevention by vaccination, and it's too bad if you get sick anyway. In a warm country like Australia, this is a mostly white lie that probably caused few deaths in the elderly or children from influenza. However, now that we're in the front line for the predicted world pandemic of bird flu, it's been predicted that soon H5N1 will evolve to spread from humans instead of just from birds, and then quickly transfer around the world by killing many people, unless we're prepared. Four people have died from bird flu in Indonesia recently and the Indonesian government has warned that the epidemic looks likely. Like other disaster planning, flu pandemics aren't great for political capital, so they have low priority for funding and policy. In 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic killed 20 million people around the world, and that was before fast international travel and modern high population density. Against human influenza, there are the amantadine-based drugs, which are no longer covered by patent, so they could be mass-produced cheaply around the world. Unfortunately, the Chinese government has been allowing farmers to treat chickens with amantadine, and as a result, the bird flu has evolved resistance. This leaves just two other anti-influenza drugs that might be effective against bird flu. Relenza was invented by the CSIRO in Australia in 2000, and it's inhaled as a powder. Tamiflu, which was developed by the USA in 1996, is swallowed as a capsule, but has more side effects. Both these drugs work by targeting the NA protein code of the flu virus that doesn't change when it evolves. All three of these drugs work best if they're given within the first few days of flu infection, so the Australian government-mandated practice of sending patients home for a few days to see if they get better, instead of testing them for flu on the spot, is completely inappropriate. Amantadine will reduce the severity of the flu, even if it's not taken within the first few days. Federal Health Minister Tony Abbott says that most of Australia's national plan revolves around six quarantine centres to be built near international airports, which could house 500 beds each. For non-travellers, the plan is home quarantine and home treatment to avoid flu victims visiting hospitals and spreading the virus. He's also purchased some American Tamiflu for a national stockpile, which may help some essential service personnel continue working for a month or two while they wait for the vaccine. But he admits it's not anywhere near enough. Mr Abbott complained that there just isn't any extra Tamiflu on the market. He chose not to stockpile any Australian Relenza. However, Australian scientists who have been studying bird flu say it would take more than six months to develop a vaccine for any new flu virus. They won't be able to start until they see the new virus. There are no fridge magnets planned. In the USA, the commercial Z-Stat flu throat swab from the Zyme TX company can diagnose flu in 20 minutes. 
that looks for the same Na proteins on the flu virus skin that Tamiflu and Relenza target. It was donated by the company for use in the Sydney 2000 Olympic Village as a promotional goodwill gesture worth about $15 a test. Quickview from Quido can now do it in 10 minutes. There are another 10 rapid flu tests on the market, along with two antibody tests that take about two hours, and another polymerase chain reaction test that takes two days. Traditional culturing tests take about a week or two to give results, which is too long. So for the last five years, we've had 10 flu tests that work in less than half an hour, and several drugs that can treat and cure most flu infections if given within two days of infection, and another drug that can stop children, the elderly, and people with HIV from dying of common influenza infections, even after two days. Yet the policy is not to test and not to treat. Official policy is for evidence-based medicine, which requires tests for the evidence, but the policy is to discourage tests because they cost money, so you get no medicine at all. I recommend we put in place mandatory rapid testing and treatment of influenza infections, as has been trialled successfully in Hawaii by the US Centre for Disease Control, the CDC. The CSIRO's Relenza hasn't been earmarked for Tony Abbott's stockpile, so it should be available for you and me. That was Ian Wolfe suggesting we use quick flu tests and then cure the flu instead of leaving the flu around where it might hurt someone. Did you know the ears of a cricket are located on its front legs, just below the knee? Discovery, the radio show that tackles the big issues in science, and quite a few sub-microscopic ones as well. Discovery delves deep into what makes the world tick, bringing you the latest, greatest, and weirdest in science from around the world. We don't care if your ears are on your front legs, as long as you tune into Discovery, heard on community radio across Australia by the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. So now for some news that didn't quite make the news. Over to you, Matt. Well, there's, there's one interesting thing I've got here. Now, science is uh, often coming out with some strange answers to questions that you never realised you'd ever want to ask. And uh, one of the, these answers uh, that's come out recently is people have actually weighed the Amazon River. Um, seems this, quite this has been burning a hole in the minds of scientists for years. Absolutely. They've been looking at the Amazon and we've charted it. We found all the, the creatures that live in it. But what does it weigh? We must know. Exactly, exactly. What is, what is the weight of something, the... the the important question. So what they've managed to do is actually find out that, that when you've got all this water sitting in the Amazon floodplain in the flood season, obviously there's a lot more water than when it's not flooding, and that actually squashes the, the ground down. So it's actually measuring the squashing. But the way you do that is actually using an incredibly accurate GPS system because um, the GPS is all about relying on uh, like how, how long the, do radio waves take to travel from one satellite compared to another one. So it's all about measuring your time. So with really accurate atomic clocks, they can actually measure the movement of something, put your GPS down, and you can measure movement of um, as accurate to one millimetre per year. And doing this, they found the Amazon actually goes up and down by about seven centimetres every year. If you think year. about that for a second, that's, that's a hell of a lot slower than your fingernails grow. Yeah, much slower. You know, and that's pretty slow. Yeah. So that's a good effort. I mean, it's really, it's incredible. These satellites are, you know, way, way above, you know, the atmosphere. And just by bouncing things off them, we can we can measure something to within a millimetre. It, it's, it's quite amazing. But it turns out that we can work out the, the weight of the Amazon. So, you know, a big, heavy flood season, the ground's going to squish down more than another, another sort of a, a lighter season where it's not going to squish down so much. So useful piece of trivia. It's also a use of general relativity because they have to take into account the fact that the satellites are... You know, less gravity than on the ground, and you have to take that yes, into account yes. in the computations, or this, you get this it wrong. Being the Einstein World Year of Physics, yes. uh, he'd be proud to know that we've weighed the Amazon. What I want to know is, and we're all uh, burning to ask the same question. Go on then. 
Go on, what does it weigh? Well, well, unfortunately, to actually come up with a number. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. It's, yeah, well, yeah, right, you yeah. need to know how squishy the ground underneath is, and that's a little more tricky. That's so just an experiment. Just get some mud and see how squishy it is. Well, yeah. yeah but, so uh, we can weigh the Amazon. We can't just actually weigh it. Well, maybe it's early days. Maybe maybe the researchers want some more funding. And then, <laughs> then in a few years, Naturally. maybe they can give so you a So basically, number. we can weigh it. We're just not going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> give Perhaps. us the money and we'll tell you how <laughs> much. <laughs> okay. Well, another story that's um, made a little bit of publicity recently is a question of what is a planet? So, again, something that well, perhaps would seem fairly obvious. We, we learn at school, probably in primary school. that there five, are... five points to anyone who can name them all. Go on, yeah. from, from in the order. sun out. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh. Come. Mercury. Yes. Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune. Oh, Uranus. I've, I've missed one. Uranus, Uranus Neptune, Pluto. 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 It's that last Pluto. one that's causing a problem, isn't it? Well, it's more than just one, as it turns mm-hmm. out. Because as we've known for quite some time, beyond Pluto, beyond kind of the planetary sort of area there's this vast region that's known as the Kuiper belt uh, where sort of solid things that that probably would be comets if they came closer to the sun um, but because they're way out there they're just big basically frozen snowballs or, or rock um, just just hanging out there sort of way beyond Pluto but it turns out these things are a long way away like there's one being discovered recently that's three times further from the sun than Pluto um, wow. but it's bigger than Pluto so if we call Pluto a planet... Is that the one that they call... Isn't there one called Charon or something? Isn't well, Charon's there? technically Char- known sorry, as the... Charon. Oh, Charon. Well, I, I don't it's know. Greek. It's, it's, it's Charon. Greek. I think you were right the first time. Charon, I kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> so Shazza is, the, uh, is actually it, technically known as the moon of Pluto. But it's actually, compared to the other moons, it's, it's, it's of a comparable size to Pluto, maybe sort of half the size. But it's not like you know Earth Moon, much bigger, much smaller. It's okay. kind of a, but out but out beyond that, we've got these big chunks of rock or ice. Yeah, or something. yeah. And the other strange thing about Pluto though is all the other planets kind of, if you look at their orbits, they're kind of flat. Um, so if you like put them on a dinner plate, they'd all be just sort of circling around. But Pluto's on a much greater angle um, compared to all the other planets, and it's got a very elliptical orbit as well. Sometimes it's actually closer to the sun than than uh, Neptune, um, and sometimes it's not. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird anyway. So the question is, do we have, you know, 10, 11, 12, you know, could there be hundreds of these planets or do we in fact have eight planets and Pluto's not a planet? So where's the line? Where do you, where do you cut off and say, you're a planet? No, I'm sorry, you're not a planet. Well, this is the, the, there isn't a line. Uh, the, uh, the International Astronomy Union, which, you know, officially names... There's planets. an International Astronomy Union? That's, that's right. These guys are unionised? Yep. What well, are they going to do? We're not going to look through telescopes anymore. <laughs> You're not going to have any pictures of cool stuff. Uh, it's the... Yes. The... What are they going to do? <laughs> I'd love to see the picket line. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, well true, true, to, true to such a sort of a, a bureaucracy, they, they're estimating it'll take roughly 10 years to kind of sort this question out after they, you know, review it in committees, discuss it, make sure everyone's happy. And then they're going to work out you know, what are these things going to be called, this object, you know, what name, perhaps a Greek god or, or whatever else. Um, or, in fact, are they going to de deplanetify Pluto and we're going to have eight planets. So. What's the name of the new one? Uh, it has a, a, Kevin. a scientific name. Kevin. We'll call it Kevin. Kevin and Sharon. Uh, I think its, its name is UB313. Oh, that's boring. Uh, so yes. I think well, they're... I mean, astronomers are known for their really creative names. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it doesn't have a bunch of letters and numbers in it, then it's just not trying out enough. Exactly. So yeah. this is why it takes ten years for astronomers to come up with a more creative name. So, well, hopefully more creative than the very large array, or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like that.
plant a seed, brother, as a duty servant. And be observant. The fact that seed pods produce fruit eventually, you must loot. Can be the booty wickedly. Some seeds be planted, attitudes slanted. And candidly, you can see me, so discern, but don't judge too harshly. Rule is not for us, see seeds be sprouting paper leaks, making it take the kicks. And even if the right flow collides, so so and so and seeds, so some seed could breathe, so he sows until he sees some seed that'll breathe. Obviously, seeds so in the one place, you got in trouble for asking. All the eggs been in the one basket. Sadly, that's all we've got time for here today at Discovery. But if you want any other information on any of our stories or you'd like to drop us a line, you can send that to discovery at 2ser.com. This week in the studio, we had Chris Stewart, Ian Wolf, Matt Francis, Adam Richardson, Sam McConey. Producing this week, we had Matt Clark. Discovery is um, broadcast at 2SER Sydney and is aired nationally via the Community Broadcasting Network. I'm Jackie Pepper and we'll see you next Thursday for Discovery. Like a soul bullet Thoughts are planned And like an industry To get to me As we let the scroll unroll We get some help But the text is No less vexed by the self Think of the self As like a shell A coating A sponge Able to absorb more knowledge And wisdom This is like a college And then some A university of the soul Don't get every weighted down By the worries of the world Back out your slip Back in the old pigeonhole Loosen the ties From the material self jams And with slams Know that you aspire To be greater Remember the rose seed The knowledge of life It got plucked and crushed The intellect went kaput the rocky, rocky joint is a wasteland And the dome growth is halted in the making Knowledge is progressing The building blocks must rock the true foundations To withstand the forces Don't want to bring it down to the human levels Force plucked and limited to brutal devils You'd rather revel in the warm glow of self-indulgence But when power block falls, boy, you better jump Are you a product of consciousness or morals? Is that earth there fertile or fallow? When your time is up, will you be called fruitful Or is your existence just shallow? Seed is the word is brain food.